when you think that you couldn't possibly take something else, you can get through it. And I definitely uh, realized that the strength that I had and continue to have that I couldn't have imagined before. Hey, thanks for listening to We're Momming today. If you're listening on a smart speaker or website, make sure to find me, Lauren Simonetti, on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And don't forget to leave me a review. Momming Today with Maria Quaban, weather anchor at Fox 11 in Los Angeles and author of You Can't Do It Alone, A Widow's Journey Through Loss, Grief, and Life After, which is really a, sh- a story of resilience. Um, Maria, good to talk to you. Hi, Lauren. Thank you for having me on the show. Nice to talk to you after all this time. <laughs> I know, I know. And I, I feel like I partially... Um, went through some of your story with you. So so why don't why don't you tell us what happened in the past couple of years and what brought you to to write this book? Well, this book uh, has been a couple of years of work and how I got to this book was it was a promise that I made to my late husband and also to myself. My husband uh, almost 5 years ago now actually in 2014 uh, was diagnosed with glioblastoma, which is a one of the rare forms of brain cancer. It's it's terminal, unfortunately, and there is no cure for it. And it, it generally takes you quickly. And uh, we had no idea that he had these tumors growing in his head. And after a long planned vacation to Paris that uh, my husband and I took, which we'd never been to before, it'd been a long time since we'd been on a long vacation together because we had a young son who was three at the time and we felt comfortable enough to leave him with my parents and we were on this great vacation but I noticed uh, very disturbing things about my husband that was not uh, normal and so it was after that trip when we got back when we saw some doctors and we got the diagnosis for him for glioblastoma. And that's probably one of the most defining moments of your life, hearing that diagnosis, right? Oh, absolutely. I I remember it clear as day. It was June 18, and um, that was when you hear it from people, you know, when, when life changed forever. And we asked those questions of the why, you know, why us, why him? He was so healthy. He did everything right. He ate well. He was... Uh, an avid uh, person who worked out a lot. He was very active and uh, this got him. And so part of that, the questioning of the why was, you know, maybe it's because I wear a microphone every day working at uh, Fox 11 News in Los Angeles and my husband being a writer uh, by trade that we needed to tell the story of, of this disease, which doesn't really get too much attention. There's no cure for it. There hasn't been any real advancements even in the uh, standard of care and the treatments. So maybe we needed to write about it and, and, and uh, bring more awareness. And for, for many, I mean, this was the worst news that you could be given, but because you were a microphone for a job, you are a public face, a familiar face in Los Angeles, giving people the weather report every single day on a morning show. It's an upbeat 
job where you have to wear a smile and that must have been so difficult for you to do. Yeah, def definitely. I had those days where I absolutely did not want to smile. It's that part of the newscast, as you know, that's generally um, that the happy portion of the, of, of the newscast. And I always joke that it's the part of the newscast that actually looks forward in time, uh, as opposed to the rest of the program, which looks back on what happened and generally very negative. And so going through those 18 months that Sean was around was difficult, definitely. But I have to say that um, I can compartmentalize a little bit better, I suppose, than others, but I was able to do that. And it was it was not as hard to do when I was surrounded by people that I really loved and respected. And those were my colleagues. Uh, you've met some of them, Lauren, you've visited us um, back here in LA and they really made a point to make me smile and to inevitably I would maybe force that first smile, but then I would get into the groove of the day. And it kind of took my mind off of the stresses at home. So in that sense, I guess work was really good for me to at least get my mind off of the heaviness of, of what we were going through at home. Was that your support group or did you find other people? Oh, no. They, I mean, they, they were a large part of that, but I had a huge village, which I'm so grateful for. And that's what I'm hoping the book will impress upon people is that you know, you really can't do this alone and you have to find your village. And I was fortunate and I still am uh, really depending and leaning on my family. I have a huge family and extended family that were there for us all the time. And they still are. I have my circle of friends um, also at work, my work friends. And then I have uh, the support group at the hospital at UCLA that I was able to find. And I still stay in contact with them, which is so amazing that uh, we still continue our relationship and we still get together, not just at that meeting room at the hospital anymore. And we get together on the outside. And now we talk about so many other things besides our spouses and um, the treatments that they had gone through. And, and, and there's church. Church was a big part of my support group as well as my son's school community. So um, they're there for you. you. You have to find them. You have to ask them for help and, and the love and the support will be there for you. As you said, you know, one of the things you love about the weather report is that it's the part of the newscast that looks forward. But in life, we often, as we look forward, also have to look backwards. How do you deal with memories, whether it's your son, Gus, asking you a question or maybe your in-laws or a picture or a memory pops up? How do you deal with that? Oh, I embrace those. And, you know, that's really the key, I think, to helping to heal your heart. And um, part of my support group includes, of course, our family therapist. And this is one of the things that I learned um, for us and our family, it's to embrace those daddy memories is what we call them. And I encourage Gus to, and, and our family and our friends, I encourage them to talk about Sean and to bring up those wonderful memories because that just puts us in a happy place, you know, because we think about how funny his dad is. And um, sometimes we'll watch a video. You know, these days we have everything through technologies on our phone. It's hooked up to our TV and and it's there at a push of a button. And sometimes I'll wake up and Gus will be in front of the TV and he'll go through, he'll scroll through the picture files 
And, you know, it, it does bring a little tiny bit of sadness, but that's nothing compared to the joy that actually brings us to go back and remember those very funny times, those very special moments that we had with Sean. Oh, how is Gus doing? He's nine now, right? He's nine. Yeah, he's he's doing good. I mean, it's tough right now because of the pandemic and the quarantine and uh, some of the crazy things that are going on in the world and we've had to stay home. And I really do feel for the the people who have had to suffer and, and, and suffer loss and going through grief right now, particularly during this time, because we have to physically distance ourselves from really the people that we love the most and, you know, the grandparents and the family members. And so it's been a little tough at times, but uh, we're hanging in there. And as things open up a little bit, we're starting to, uh, you know, spend some time with others again. (laughs) Maria, hold that thought. We're going to have more momming today right after this. We're back with Maria Quaban, the weather anchor at Fox 11 in L.A. and also author of You Can't Do It Alone. And, and Maria, we were talking about some of that resilience that you learned along your life journey and with your story, your late husband. And we're talking about two crises right now that are colliding. And you have a nine-year-old and you're taking him through this chapter of life, which involves keeping a safe distance of six feet away from other people because a flu can kill you and protests and unfortunately unrest and riots and violence in the streets where you live. You're in Los Angeles. I'm here in New Jersey. We've all seen these images. Um, What do you tell Gus? Uh, That's a really good question that a lot of parents are asking. And um, I've asked it definitely of our family therapist. And basically, a nine-year-old, um, if the, the rule of thumb that I've learned through this whole process is that if they're old enough to ask, they're old enough to hear the answer. And so I'm just very truthful with Gus. I always have been, um, both Sean and I, even from when he was three years old, when Sean got that diagnosis. And so we're doing the same, all the same things that we've always been doing. And that's just to be honest with him and that this is a time in the world right now where there is a virus Um you know, it's it, we're, we're doing all the things that we're supposed to to make sure that we don't catch the virus. And if we do these things, we're going to stay safe. And uh, hopefully with the doctors are working on a vaccine and much like how he gets the flu vaccine and the polio vaccine, we're going to get this vaccine, too, which will help protect us and our immunity. And so I tell him about about those things. And we focus on on the uh, positive things like when there are riots going on, which was not very far from our home, actually, um, just four blocks. I remember uh, there was a huge protest and luckily it did not turn violent. But just hearing those helicopters and the sirens of the police cars can make you afraid. And so um, I just focus on how there are uh, members of the police that are there to protect us. And that's their jobs. And we're doing everything that we can to make sure that he stays safe and that I stay safe. And and then I ask him if he has any other questions. And usually that will uh, satisfy him and make him feel secure. What about the safety of your own mental health, though? Yeah, mine. I guess I, I try to listen to the advice myself. <laughs> and um, I try to focus on that we are doing everything that we can to stay safe. We 
uh, lock our doors. We are staying alert and uh, cautious of what's going on around us. Luckily, we live in a pretty safe community and where the neighbors are really in touch with each other. And so I think that community um, is really important where you are. As far as for my mental health, um, I, I try to relax and try to take deep breaths and stay calm and uh, stay abreast of the news, which I do anyway. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we, we live and breathe the news. and I try to keep it away from, from my son as much as I can, you know, but he's old enough now where he's actually watching on his own. So I try to temper that. And, I'm uh, not going to lie for balance. my own mental health. There's stretches of time on the weekends where I don't want to read or watch the news just because you need a break because it's gotten scary and disturbing and sad. Um, and that, that's a lot for, for, for someone to take in. Um, it, it's kind of just all, all at once. Uh, how has work been for, for you? You're reporting from home, I believe, right? Yeah. You know, this is, this is a time in our lives that I thought would never happen. Uh, I couldn't imagine doing what I do, doing what you, what we all do on a, on a daily basis from our homes. I mean, we used to fantasize about it, you know, like oh, I could do this from home, but I fully have, I'm fortunate again that I have a guest room that we've converted into a studio now. And I have a giant green screen there. I have a camera and I have a set of lights and monitors and, uh, it's, it's a very interesting situation to be by myself and to be solo. So I do find myself talking to the walls and to the television. <laughs> and now that's kind of normal for me because I often will comment two different stories that pop up. And I used to do that with my colleagues and now there's no one there, but I'll still out loud comment uh, about the stories. And I just, I realize that I'm doing it, but that's okay. Uh <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's temporary, I, I, at least I hope. And I think eventually we will be going back to the studio uh, in, in some some shape or form. So I'm just looking forward to that. And until then, I just take it one day at a time. <laughs> I think most people are with you on the hoping that that return to, to normalcy continues. I, I think working from home has advantages for some people, but in our line of work, it's it's isolating. And we don't have an isolating type type job. Um, so back back to the book because it comes out uh, this week. How out on Tuesday? Yeah, June 9th. Mm-hmm. How June 9th, Correct. Yes. Yes. So you 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 said you promised your husband Sean that he was a writer. You're in media that you would tell this story. How long did it take you? You you hooked up with a, a mental health expert to write the book. Just tell me a little bit about the process. Well, um, it, it from start to finish, from the time that I wrote my treatment, just, just an idea uh, to write the book at the beginning, I would say it took about almost three years, two and a half years, really. And um, Lauren Schneider, I'm so happy that she agreed to be on board. She's a contributing writer and she really set the stage and took our experience and uh, what we went through with the, uh, with the cancer diagnosis, the, the loss and the grief after, and really universally took um, and broadened it out so that everyone can really relate to the situation that we were in. So at the end of each chapter, she does write 
and took some of the, the things that we did and broadened them out so that everyone hopefully will resonate with, with her own, with her tips and list of things to do. What we did right, and maybe some other things that we could have expanded on. Um, could you give an example? Uh, well, for instance, um, whether to tell Gus really the extent of his father's diagnosis and prognosis. Gus was three years old at the time, and it's really the preschool age um, is when kids really start realizing what's going on around them and how it affects them. And so he knew that something was wrong and we had to be honest with him. And of course we had to tell it in, in, in the language that he knew. So a lot of that being in therapy ourselves, we really had to learn the language to speak to a young child. And I think Lauren expands on that, on how to speak to children, how to speak to older children, um, if you have teenagers, or even how to speak with other family members about a diagnosis. So she'll take some of the things that we went through and then expand on it. You know, and that's, um, especially as we look at what's going on in the world right now, there is a certain way to speak to children. Um, and their age is a factor. I mean, I've been debating right now. I mean, I have a two and a four-year-old. I, yeah. I, I have, I mean, I spoke about coronavirus just because they need to know, especially in the beginning when it was first happening, that, you know, you, you can't go up and close to people and touch them. But I, I haven't spoken about race or, or the riots. I, I, I don't yeah. even know if they would understand. And that could be the wrong answer. But, um, oh, I am yeah. eager to hear um, what experts have to say. I mean, the age of your child and how you talk to them, it's, yeah, it's yeah. tough. And it's, it's a personal decision among every family member. I have a dear friend of mine who, um, who lost a baby and, mm -hmm. uh, about halfway through the pregnancy and her son, well, he's the same age as my daughter. And she told him, and I, I respect her decision. And I just said, wow, I, I'm not sure I would have done that. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I don't know. I just, I'm like, could you have just lied? And she looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah. I'm like, well, I mean, he doesn't understand. Like, it takes nine months for a baby. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know. She's like, no, Lauren, I could not have lied. She's like, it was the hardest thing in the world to do to tell him, and he had so many questions. And it's even harder when he brings up the baby. Like, you know, they're well past that now, and he still talks about the baby. But it was just that moment where, as a parent, it's. Mm -hmm. It's hard. You want, you want to protect your children. You protect them. Right. You want to shield them from the pain. But but again, that rule of thumb is if they're old enough to ask, they're old enough to, to hear the answer. And you don't want to ever, um, this is what I learned, was have them be confused. And so they just, they're a lot more sophisticated than we think that they are. And even for myself, there was a question on whether Gus should have gone to the funeral or not um, for his dad. And he had just turned five. And I said, there was no question that he would be going with us to the funeral. Um, you know, some people were thinking that we needed to shield him from that, from, from, the, from the pain and the sadness that went with the funeral. But he needed to see that too. He needed to learn how to grieve through us. And if we don't give them that, then we're not being good parents, I don't think, because then they'll be confused. They won't know how to grieve. Um, and how did that day go when he did take us to the funeral? He was so mature. He 
amazed me and and everyone else. He walked right alongside me and and his daddy's casket along with his uncle's. And he understood what was going on. And he had just turned five and he sat through that funeral, which was about two hours long. And he cried with us and he laughed with us at the stories that his uncles were telling. And he really matured a lot. And, um, you know, of course I planned and I made sure that there was an aunt. My mom was there. My, my whole family was there that if Gus did feel like he couldn't take it, he could also have the option of not going. I always gave him a choice and he wanted to go. And so that's what he did. But yeah, kids, kids like to have um, the choice. And so I gave him that choice. And, and, oh, and so he was five at the time. Yeah. It's a vulnerable age. Yeah. Well, when what he was, was it like he, after that, you know, after the loss of someone, so I, I, your father, his father, your husband, what was, what was home like in the, in the immediate aftermath? Well, it, I mean, it just, it doesn't, it happens gradually. And so it wasn't like an abrupt change on that day after the funeral. Um, what was hard was when he was three and telling him about the cancer diagnosis and just going back to what you said about how valuable it was to have Lauren or a family therapist go through it with you. But we made sure that language about telling him that daddy was not sick. You know, we didn't use words like sick because people get sick all the time. We just made sure that he knew that daddy had cancer and that I did uh. not have cancer and that Gus did not have cancer. And so those are the little things that we have to remember. And that helps children understand the process. And so we also early on started talking to him about the themes of life and death. And so we were preparing him in a sense for what was to come because the prognosis was not good. We always hoped for the best. We always, always hoped that Sean would be the, you know, one of the 5% that would live a lot longer. But we were preparing Gus and I was preparing myself as well um, for death. And so we had talked about at that time, even my family dog and coincidentally, my parents dog had passed away just earlier that year. And so we had talked to Gus about different ways people and animals die and of old age, sometimes of cancer. And so he already understood some of those concepts as we got closer to um, when Sean died. And Maria, how would this story, this experience, how has it changed you? Well, I can tell you that I've realized that I'm stronger than I thought I was. Um, and that's what I'd like to impress upon everybody is that when you think that you couldn't possibly take something else, another thing that keeps you down, you can get through it. And I definitely uh, realized that the strength that I had and continue to have that I couldn't have imagined before. Um, I definitely don't sweat the small stuff. I didn't think I ever did before, but now I really don't. And <laughs> so <laughs> after we went through what we went through, just, you know, certain things happen around the house or I, I think I, someone hit me on their bicycle one day and I just, and I, that person sued me and I felt really bad, but at the same time, I just, I was really zen about it and, you know, thank God I have insurance and 
I had a good lawyer and that cleared up because that person was actually uh, trying to get uh, extort money. Um, we were moving at two miles an hour, I think. But anyway, uh, I guess my point is that <laughs> just perspective will really, um, you know, will change you, right? It's I have a totally different perspective and um, really cherish the moment and see joy in so much more than I ever did. And I have one more question for you because someone who has gotten to know you um, at a distance, but I've met you and I know tons of people who know you and speak nothing but beautiful things about you. Are you um, at, a, at a point where you feel you need to be a role model or an example or uh, you need to guide other people? Do they look to you in a different way? Like, this is how Maria did it. Look how great she is. I can do it too. Do you offer them that strength and that hope? I'd like to think that um, I could. Um, when you are able to help others, and when I have had the opportunity to help other people, it's helped me heal my heart. And so finding meaning in everything that has happened, all the bad things in life that happens, I think for me, being able to help someone else, even just one person through what we've gone through, helps heal my heart. And so if I can do that more, then that will only make my heart feel better and better than I say, bring it, <laughs> bring it on. And in the meantime, for any of our listeners who live in the LA area, <laughs> Box 11, Maria Quaban, giving you um, the weather from her spare bedroom every morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my spare bedroom too. Maria, so good to, to connect with you. Thank you for sharing your story and for the book. Thank you so much for having me. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.